Philemon, chapter 1, verses 1 to 25. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, your bro- our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order to you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful, both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he has separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, perhaps a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's let's pray as we come before God's word. Father God, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see what you want us to see from the book of Philemon. Encourage our hearts, Lord, challenge us and rebuke us. Help us to be more like Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are lots of different kinds of groups that we might like to belong to or might already belong to. We can belong to groups because we have similar interests, maybe as members of a club. We can belong because we have a similar occupation or life experiences. We can belong because we enjoy doing the same kinds of things. Despite the sense of belonging we may get from these kinds of groups, it isn't the same as the sense of belonging that you get from family. 
most of us would be happy to help out just about anybody who was having trouble if we knew that there was something that we could do to help. But what we'd be willing to do for a stranger is nowhere near as much as we would be willing to do for a family member. I can remember lots of times in the past when I've rung up my father or my grandfather asking them for help knowing that they would help no matter what I was going through because I'm family. And that reminds me of something that the Christian comedian Ken Davis once said in the more serious part of one of his talks. He made the comment that if this building was on fire tonight, you'd better know where the exits are because as willing as he was to risk his life to save the lives of those in the audience, his wife and children were in the audience that day. As willing as we would be to help out a friend or a neighbour, there are just things that we would be willing to do for a family member that we wouldn't be willing to do for our friend, our, our neighbour. I mean, yeah, our neighbour or a stranger. It's a good and godly thing for us to have a strong sense of commitment and burden for caring for our families. It's a God-given thing. It's a biblical principle. As long as we remember that the gospel turns who is and who isn't family on its head. In these incredibly challenging words in, in Matthew 10, Verses 34 and 36, Jesus challenges the loyalties of those who are listening about their families. Jesus says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What Jesus is saying is that the commitment he expects to him is got to be greater than the commitment we have to our families. Ephesians 1 tells us that those who trust in Jesus have been adopted to sonship. That word sonship means that those in Christ have been adopted and become heirs of an eternal inheritance with Christ. They have become sons and daughters of the living God. Which means that as important as it is to care for our biological families, and it is important, there is a unique sense of belonging and responsibility to those who have been united together with us in Christ. Galatians 6 verse 10 speaks of this. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so if we're willing to go to great lengths to help out our families, if we're willing to look over frustrations and even sometimes upsetting behaviours of family members just because they are family. How much more should we be willing to forgive and serve and love those whom we've been united together with in Christ? Today we're looking at another 
un, very rarely preached book of the Bible. It also just happens to be the shortest book in the Bible. This, of course, is the letter to Philemon. And it was written while the Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome. And it was actually written at the same time as the letter that we know as the book of Colossians was written. And it was taken at the same time to Colossae by Tychicus and Onesimus. Unlike uh, most of the other epistles or letters to the churches, this letter was primarily written to one person rather than to a whole congregation. You may notice it's addressed to four different groups there, to Philemon, Aphia, Archippus, and to the church that met in Philemon's home. Well, it was probably Paul's intention that all of these groups would read this letter sooner or later. Philemon's name being first on that list shows that he was the primary one that Paul was writing to. So who was Philemon? Well, Philemon was a wealthy Roman citizen who lived in Colossae. Philemon had become a follower of Jesus after hearing the Apostle Paul preaching the good news of Jesus during one of his missionary journeys. And after coming to faith in Jesus, Philemon went on to be an elder in the home church that met in his home. Now, the reason that Paul is writing this letter to his dear friend and fellow believer Philemon was that a, a man named Onesimus, who was a servant or, or slave of Philemon's, stole from his master and fled for Rome. Now, you can imagine the fact that Philemon has a slave, even though he's a Christian, has been very, very controversial. But before we pass judgment on Philemon, it's important for us to put aside our modern Western understanding of what slavery looks like. Because the kind of slavery that's going on in these verses is very different from the images that might spring to our minds. This wasn't a racial kind of slavery. It affected all different races. And it was, it was much more of an economic one. In those days, people usually became slaves because they were unable to pay a huge debt. Or in some cases, in times of great famine or poverty, somebody might sell themselves into slavery to ensure that they had food and shelter for their families. I'm not suggesting it was a perfect system by any means, but it is very different from the type of slavery that was practiced in the early 20th century. So what's going on? Onesimus has stolen from his master and fled. And by doing so, well, he'd, he'd wronged Philemon in a very serious way. And the consequences for him were very serious. But in the providence of God, while Philemon was in, sorry, while Onesimus was in Rome, he somehow met up with the Apostle Paul in prison. Now, Onesimus may have sought out the Apostle Paul in order to seek his help, or the two may have simply crossed paths. We don't know. But what we do know is that while Onesimus was with Paul, Paul shared the good news of Jesus, and there was a radical change in Onesimus's life. He came to saving faith in Jesus. 
He became a, a spiritual son to Paul, or in other words, a brother in Christ. Which means that since Onesimus had fled from Philemon's home, he was a very, very different person to the one who had stolen and run away. As the Holy Spirit had turned him into a, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Before, he'd only been a slave to Philemon. Uh, sorry, he'd not only been a slave to Philemon, but a slave to sin. Now, he was no longer a slave to sin, but a spiritual brother in Christ to Philemon. And so Paul is writing this letter to Philemon to encourage him to do something that could only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul was asking Philemon to not only forgive Onesimus for wronging him so seriously, but to accept him back as a brother in Christ, as a social equal. But Paul wasn't just asking Philemon to forgive and forget. Paul was asking him to accept Onesimus because of Christ, because of what Christ had done in Philemon's life and because of what he had done in Onesimus' life. Philemon was somebody who had been an incredible encouragement to Paul. Paul had seen Philemon come to saving faith, and Philemon had continued on being a great encouragement in Colossae as he continued to encourage those whom Paul had shared the good news with, preaching the good news and, and discipling those brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul felt confident enough in the genuineness of Philemon's faith and of the Holy Spirit's work in his life that he could ask this radical gospel request on Onesimus' behalf. Paul explains in verse 8 that he doesn't want Philemon to obey this request based on compulsion but he'd rather see Onesimus received by Philemon because of love, because of forgiveness, and because of what Christ had done in Philemon's heart. It's Paul's heartfelt desire that Philemon show the same kind of mercy that he had received from Christ himself. Verse 10, Paul explains that while he was in prison, he led Onesimus to saving faith in Jesus and that he became like a son to him, like a, like a spiritual son. Paul is explaining that even though Onesimus had wronged Philemon by stealing from him and by fleeing his care, he was a very different Onesimus to the one who had done this wrong. He says in verse 11, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. What's really interesting about that is the name Onesimus actually means useful. But here Paul's saying that he was useless. Paul is saying that before Onesimus had fled, he may have had some economic value. He may have had some use to you but the value that he had back then is nothing to the value that he now has as a brother in Christ. In fact, Paul himself found him so useful that he speaks here 
of Onesimus as his own heart, explaining that he doesn't want to send Onesimus back to Philemon because he is so dear to him. It's like giving away his own heart. But because he needed, because these two Christian brothers needed to be reconciled, and because of how important it was, Paul sent him back. Paul says in verse 17, If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you welcome me. Now, this is a very interesting choice of words on Paul's part. If you look back to verse 6, Paul acknowledges there that Philemon had been and was partnering or sharing in the faith. And this is the same word he uses here. And here he's using that same word to say, if you consider me a partner or someone who is sharing in the faith, well, welcome him as you would welcome me. What Paul is saying is that if somebody becomes a follower of Jesus, if somebody puts their faith in Christ, they become an equal partner or equal sharer in the good news of Jesus as a son or daughter of the living God. Paul is making sure that Philemon knows that Onesimus is now family in Christ. Even though there'd been a, a radical change in Onesimus's life, and even though he was a brother in Christ, Paul doesn't demand or expect that Philemon wipe away the slate or brush the past wrongs under the carpet. That still needed to be dealt with. So Paul says these words, whatever he owes, whatever he stole from you, or whatever, however he has wronged you, charge it to me. Notice something very familiar about what Paul's doing there. Paul is interceding on behalf of Onesimus in a similar way to what Christ has done for those who trust in him. Paul was willing to have Onesimus's debt charged to his account to pay whatever amount of money he stole so that Onesimus might be freely received as a brother in Christ with the slate wiped clean. Now, some scholars suggest in verses 15 and 16 that Paul is asking Philemon to give Onesimus his freedom. Now, that may or may not be true. That's open to interpretation. But interestingly, church history holds that Onesimus went on to become the bishop of Ephesus. And so if that is, in fact, the same Onesimus, Philemon may well have granted him his freedom. Today's passage is a radical picture of the power of the gospel to reconcile relationships. Before Onesimus stole from Philemon and fled Rome, fled for Rome, he was already an enemy of God. And through his actions, he became an enemy of Philemon. But as God revealed himself to Onesimus through the good news of Jesus, his life was changed forever. He was no longer an enemy of God, but had become a beloved son, a co-heir with Christ. And so Paul writes this letter to Philemon. Sorry, Philemon. Paul is writing with the expectation 
that once Philemon finds out that Onesimus has become a follower of Jesus, he would openly accept him as a brother in Christ, as family in Christ. There's nothing more radically life-altering and perspective-changing than understanding the undeserved grace and mercy of Christ who willingly went to the cross to pay for every time we get angry or, or grumpy, for every impure thought or motive, for every wrong that we've ever done, for every time we've failed to live up to God's completely, utterly perfect holiness. And if we understand, if we truly understand the depths of what Christ has done for us, then we will find it hard to harshly judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. Today's passage is radically showing us the power of the gospel to change the lives of believers. Onesimus went from being a servant or a hired worker, someone who had wronged Philemon and who was deserving of punishment, to becoming a beloved family member in Christ. This should remind us that there are no levels in the body of Christ. All who trust in Jesus as their one and only way of salvation from sin, death, and the devil, well, we have all been united as family members under Christ. And we're united by the forgiveness that Christ has shown us, apart from anything we've done. There are no levels in the body of Christ. There are no levels among family. Not according to age or experience or knowledge or even baptism or any other ritual sign. Jesus is the equaliser because it's his love that purchased us while we were still sinners. It's his love that brought us into this family. And so today's passage is reminding us that those who trust in Jesus are compelled by the love that we have received, compelled by that love to show that same kind of love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. As 1 John 2 tells us, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. The outside world knows whether we belong to Christ by how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So if we're willing to go to great lengths to help our family members, if we're willing to overlook frustration and sometimes upsetting behaviours of family members just because they are family. How much more should we be willing to forgive and love and serve those we have been united together with in Christ? Let's pray. Father God, 
we acknowledge that we have all struggled to forgive, even to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. We acknowledge that we have all struggled to show the same kind of mercy that you have shown us through your Son. Lord, work in our hearts. Reveal areas of unforgiveness that we may not have even realised are there. Help us to love each other, remembering that we have been united together as one family under Christ. Help us to care for the family that you have given us, Lord, in Christ Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.